Aldo Leopold describes it, the creation, the life of the planet as quote, the stream of energy which flows out of the soil into plants, thence into animals, thence back into the soil in a never ending circuit of life. Paul Tillich argued that because quote, sin has become such a well-known word, it has lost its power. Tillich's goal was to recapture that power and the word he chose was separation, as in sin is separation. And with that, I wanna welcome you to the All Creation Podcast. I am thrilled to get to talk with author Paul Bogard. Paul is an environmental journalist, an editor, a writing professor, and a dad. He is the author of two very important books in regards to what I am calling The Biospheric Awakening. One of those books we're gonna talk about today, that's called the, the Ground Beneath Us. This book explores the soil and the life in the soils on our planet and our relationships with it. And so we'll be talking about that in a moment. His previous book, The End of Night, Searching for Natural Darkness in an Age of Artificial Light, has really become sort of a manifesto for the dark sky movement. It's been translated into five languages other than English. Everyone that reads this book can't recommend it highly enough, which is how I feel about the ground beneath us. And um, Paul is also editor of the anthology, Let There Be Night, and author of a recently released children's book, What If Night, which is a bedtime or anytime story about the thrill of exploring the dark without fear. I love this idea of exploring the dark without fear. And I love that Paul has created a story and a book for children and families on this. So I am Chris Searles. I am co-founder and executive editor of allcreation.org. And I wanna share one more quick thing about Paul. I started reading The Ground Beneath Us late last week, and it has already really positively affected my life and my family life. Just simply in that, it emphasizes the physical, emotional, and psychological benefits of walking and being outdoors in wilderness and experiencing open space and wilderness space. We have two, I have two stepdaughters, uh, 11 and 13, and we're a relatively new family, got, have been married almost two years. And you know, there are plenty of stresses for teenage girls. And we had a tough week. And then on Sunday, we went out for a good hour and a half uh, folks gong, a nice walk through the forest. And it changed everything. It literally transformed what had been a tense day into a beautiful family conversation over dinner. And so Paul, thank you for that, among other things. Welcome to the All Creation Podcast. Nice to be here, Chris. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about your optimal vision, your ideal vision in regards to the soil and humanity's lack of connection to it. What would the future look like if we fixed this problem of a, a lack of a connection to the soil? I think an ideal outcome would see us valuing the soil and understanding its significance for us, the, the nature of our reliance on it for our food and our really our our future if we were to uh, think not so much about where we might be headed in the negative way but where we could head in a positive way i think it would it would be as i said just kind of a respect for soil um, for its uh, life-giving properties and and then in our actions you know 
policies and programs that would encourage the saving of soil, the, the good treatment of soil. I, I think we can get there. It's not, you know, we're not, we're not trying to do something that's impossible and we're, you know, it's not, um, you know, you start thinking about things like toxins and that are in the environment or certainly climate change. And those things are, are really tough to wrestle with, but when it comes to dealing with the soil, it, it's a little bit more easy to be a little bit more optimistic about it just because we know some ways to treat it um, that are better than we're doing. And I think with increased awareness and understanding of its value, um, a better future is, uh, is possible. You talk about our emotional health, physical health, our sense of identity, our ability to eat and survive, our uh, spiritual lives, our, our sense of spirituality, our cognitive abilities, our developmental life, and then also the sense of tranquility. And these are all you know, physical things in, in various ways. The story that really struck me the most, you were in Mexico City and you were visiting with one of the conservationists there who mentioned that they can't let their daughter, their young teenage daughter go to play in the park across the street, it's not safe. Yeah. And that when dad took her up to the roof of their building and she saw this scenic expanse, she was moved and she said, could I come to the roof sometimes? And she has this longing for just seeing and, and sensing a connection to the natural world. So can you talk a little bit about this idea, things that come to your mind about our physical connections to soil? Yeah, it, it makes me think of Wendell Berry and uh, forget the name of the book, but the uh, chapter, The Body and the Earth, and just his equation of these, of these things the connections between our our body and and the the body of the earth yeah i think you know part of we, we talk about connections and disconnections uh, i know that's a focus for you and and we talked about um the idea of paul tillich's uh, sin as separation and you know if you talk about you want to talk about something that we've become disconnected from literally and that we're separated from literally um it's hard to find a better uh example of that than than soil i mean I think, you know, when was the last time most Americans had their hands deep in, in the soil, you know, and there's a lot of, you know, a lot of good things we could say about gardening and working in the yard. And I think that is one of the ways that a lot of people find this connection and, and, um, and find a sense of restoration and find all these positive things. But to think about we've gone from, and, you know, statistics would back this up, but we've gone from a largely agrarian society where, you know, people were living on a farm with their, their hands and their, their hands in the soil and their feet on the natural ground. And we've now largely live in a, a, a society where um, we don't have our hands in the soil and our feet never touch natural ground. I mean, the closest we, we might get is the lawn, which, you know, we could <laughs> talk about, the if we say natural ground we've definitely got to use um, quotation marks around that given all the synthetic chemicals and the kind of monoculture that most people's lawns have become but it's the separation from the natural world that both this book the ground beneath us and my my book before this the end of night are about it's we've become so separated from the the literal natural ground and Lots of costs are associated that with that, and then I would argue that becoming reconnected with that would be um, uh, super 
positive for us would lead us in in lots of good uh, good directions. I'll sort of asterisk your <clears throat> last statement there by reading one of the quotes in the book, and um, you're you're talking around the area of exposure to nature and how it, the physicality of that is really good for us. And so here's just a short quote: If we had a medication that did this, a medication that prolonged life that addressed very different unconnected causes of disease, that did it at no cost and with no side effects, that would be the best medication of the decade. So that speaks for itself. I think, I think also um, I wanna be sure and read this other passage that I loved that's about the fun mm -hmm. that you had exploring soils. And you mentioned the, the woman in England, the farmer in England, the soil advocate in England, so here, I'm going to read it again, just a little bit. And I'm reading out loud in part because I enjoy Paul's writing so much. I am laughing too, walking this farmland with its lush grass and soft ground and obviously happy animals. I muddy my shoes and snag my sweatshirt hood on barbed wire crossing through the fence. And I think, I love this. It reminds me of skinning my knee, that happy feeling of being a little kid again wearing his scrapes and cuts and tears as little badges from a day well spent outside. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the statistics in the book that shocked me, I didn't, I didn't know, is um, something like uh, only 25% of American dirt is soil, is productive, uh, or is ready for farming naturally. And that that sort of scant percentage continues around the temperate regions of the planet, meaning England and Europe and uh, across Asia. And so people are going to realize this is a, a very finite resource. And the thing that I think about most when I think about soil is the life inside of it. It is inconceivable how many life forms live in the soil. It's you know billions per uh, gram, kind of or millions per gram, and so. Soil is a structure uh, and it's a community structure. It's a biological structure and a mineral structure. It's not um, a material or a substance. It's made up of tiny individual lives. That again, is an inconceivable in number. They're so small. And, and this quote is, or says, I like to think of the whole below ground ecosystem as a distorted mirror of what you see above ground, just on a different scale. Can you talk a little bit about this majesty of microbial life? Yeah, I think that one of the basic arguments that I developed as I was writing the book is just this idea that you know the the modern soil scientists and and traditional societies will would tell us the same thing, which is that the ground is alive, and that we're most of us are just oblivious to that fact. We don't we don't even we don't think about that. We don't even know what that means really. Um, and what we're finding, what you know, what soil scientists are finding is just this uh, world of of life that is hard to grasp in its numbers of species and and numbers of of, of individuals and 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 the kind of life that's down there. I think, you know, the one one that the quote that you read is from a. Um, a graduate student who was I was visiting, uh, and she was describing to me kind of how she liked to envision it. And, I, you know, I kind of like to envision it the way I do with looking up at the night sky and thinking about, you know, we can we can look up, you know, if we're if we're 
in a place we can actually see the stars. Um, if there's no light pollution, that kind of stuff, you look up and you see um, a lot of stars, you know, and if you see the Milky Way, um, you're seeing, you know, billions of stars. And then to think that every star that you're seeing is in our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, and that outside our galaxy, there are you know, the number changes all the time, but I've heard, you know, up to 500 billion other galaxies. And the point being that the numbers are, are too great for our brains. And I think about that when I look down into the ground and try to, you know, think about all the life, all the species, all the individual, the numbers of, of species and individuals in the ground, it's, it's something comparable to that sort of overwhelming wonder, I guess it would be. And you know, to compare that to, you know, back to where I started, which is that most folks don't even, don't have any con um, conception of the ground being alive, let alone that it is so alive. And the kind of scientific historical narrative is that life began with microbes and it took somewhere around three to three and a half billion years for what we call complex life to develop, which is the organisms we can see. Microbes are everywhere. They're in, at the top of the atmosphere. They can be in bedrock below the ocean and of course in our bodies. And microbes basically are anywhere that moisture can remain in any fractional amount. Um, and so tying this all to the, the majesty of the microbial kingdom that underpins our existence especially in regards to soil and food production. There's another great soundbite where someone in the book says, we come from microbes and to microbes we shall return. I don't think we really have time to get into that, but it kind of bridges to another thing I wanted to ask you about, which is um, you know, back to Paul Tillich a little bit, this idea of estrangement going beyond separation. So I wonder about your sense of um, sacredness and estrangement and um, in regards to the soil and these relationships with unseen living beings. Oh yeah, I mean, gosh, there's, there's so much there, right? I mean, I think um, all you have to do is, is kind of think about people's reaction to soil or dirt, uh, the common reaction of just kind of being, let's say, grossed out or you know not wanting to get dirty not not we were touching or talking earlier about you know actually losing literal connection with uh, the soil and just you know a lot of people would be like i don't want to you know have that connection and i think that is so representative of our um estrangement from the soil and from the ground from our our animalness our connection to other living forms um I remember a, f a friend of mine who um, was living in Utah, and uh, she said one day there was a knock at the door, and the missionaries outside the door handed her a brochure, and the title of the brochure was um, "The Earth Is Not Our Home." And and I just you know I just years later it still baffles me that there this notion that um, the Earth, you know, from which we came could could be seen as not as our destiny is somewhere else. And it just, you know, the, it wouldn't matter so much, except that I think our, so much of our action toward the planet, our actions toward the planet, our, or our lack of care toward the planet, um, all those things are tied to this, um, 
vision of, of where we're headed, you know, that it doesn't matter what we do here because we're, you know, this isn't our home, we're headed somewhere else. Boy, compare that to, um, I mean, if you want to have a positive vision of, of the future of what it could be like where we started, I, I really do think it has something to do with helping people to understand, as I say, in the end of night, like, there is no other, there is nowhere to go. There's nowhere else to go. Like this is, this is home. And this is where we would be wise to reconnect um, with our animal body, with the ground beneath us, um, all these, all these things. The idea of the sacred was something that I explore in the last part of the book. And I remember a, a discussion I had with a professor of theology from Duke University who First, he told me a story about <clears throat> how in his class, he, at the beginning of the semester, he gives every student um, a pot with some soil and a seed, and they plant the seed in there, and they, they grow the plant during the semester, and it really helps students to see the magic of life, essentially, and, and they really, they, they care for the plant and that kind of stuff. But he was the one who helped me understand this, what I kind of love this idea of the sacred, which is, or a sacred place, sacred ground. He said it's, you know, essentially ground that helps us um, understand the connections that keep us alive. You know, so it's understanding that this is where my food comes from. This is where the, my water comes from. This is where my spirit comes from. Um, if those are the places we were talking about Gettysburg, you know, where you go there and you just think like, my gosh, you know, there's so much of who we are as human beings that comes from having lived on this ground. Um, and that's, that's a notion of sacred that I, that I love. And, and certainly the, the, the idea that we are a living, we are a type of living being in connection with all other sorts of living beings. Um, that to me also is a, a notion of the sacred. It's so inclusive. You know, I, I, I feel a sense of uh, kinship with you in that I really want to see these fundamental values that I would call, you know, reality, biospheric reality or the life support systems reality become common values. And I kind of perceive that, well, we're just not finding the right ways to talk about it. You know, we've got some great science and we've got some great conservationists. But other than that, it's, it's a relatively small conversation. And, um, you know, I want to really, I guess, acknowledge that I think you're, you have trailblazed in that regard, opening all this up. And there's another concept in the book. There's a couple other things I want to ask you about here. And another thing that really moved me is when you go to Appalachia and you experience firsthand the destruction of the natural environment where a, a fracking pad has been put in. It's so diabolical too, by the way, this, this kind of idea that we're, you, you mention it, that we're, we're burning, we're destroying current life so we can burn old life. It just, it sounds like the antithesis of a, you know, this is the all creation podcast. It sounds like the antithesis of a religious life to me or a spiritual life. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, ha I say that having friends in fossil fuels, um, you know, I'm certainly not trying to attack them, but I think we, we have to zoom out sometimes and take a big picture view. And so the other thing I wanted to share is the list of things we're doing wrong, just so people can hear it, because it is, um, we can grasp it and we can change it. So fracking, soil sealing, which is this idea of uh, just laying concrete over soil 
um, especially fertile soil. Also fragmentation, just the installation of roads and settlements and other types of development causes the larger ecosystem functionality to be fragmented. And if you think about your body as a biosphere, uh, you can sort of analogize what it would do to your body if you were to fragment it uh, in terms of its functionality. And that's something we're doing without realizing it. Um, and then that probably the biggest driver globally of soil destruction is industrial agriculture and uh, these non-regenerative agricultural practices we have, these extractive and destructive agricultural practices. Last but not least, I think, is something I call overdraft, which is consumption without replenishment. And um, that's tied to all of these things, especially the farming. And we should be concerned about soil, not oil, that we literally could run out of topsoil within decades and that the projection for the average global uh, soil availability is that we have 60 global harvests left. So I just wanna, I wanna name those things um, as the, the drivers of this soil destruction and the destruction of the life in the soil. One other thing that really, really grabbed me is the invisibility and the pervasiveness of hallowed grounds and sacred soils. And I just wanna hear your comments on this as well. For, for me as a you know, big old environmentalist type person, all soils are sacred, there's, there's life everywhere. Wendell Berry says there are no unsacred places, only sacred and desecrated places. And I'm wondering if you could either comment on that or talk about a place where you felt especially connected to the soil. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I would, you know, I would echo what Barry says um, in that sense. It's so weird that we come from a, um, so many of us come from a culture that would think that the notion of all places are sacred is somehow strange or, or odd. Right. Uh, you know, um, and obviously I think there are, there are cultures, especially indigenous cultures all around the world that would, the notion of of course, everywhere is sacred, you know, and people are part of that um, sacredness and that kind of thing. But when it comes to, you know, sacred places, I find them everywhere. I mean, my part of my motivation for writing the book was at the time I was thinking about what to write after the end of night, I uh, lost my dog, my Brittany of 15 years, and I made a really conscious decision to bury her at the cabin in northern Minnesota where we'd spent so much time together. I wanted her to be in that ground and that is certainly sacred ground to me, that place. But I think I'm with you. I mean, I, I just, wherever I go, I think, of, I think of the planet and life as sacred. And so every place I go is certainly sacred and boy, the desecration um, <laughs> is, is everywhere. Uh, and, uh, I think it's our, it's our way of life, as it were. Yeah, it really is our way of life. That's a it's a nice way to it's a correct way to to say it. I, I guess I I would say, and it can be hard. It can be really hard to see. I mean, all people have to do is think like, well, what do I think is sacred, and then think about how they would feel if that thing or place or whatever was 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 mistreated or harmed or or desecrated. And that's how a lot of us feel about the planet in general. Well, one more big shout out to this book, Paul. The title of the book is The Ground Beneath Us. And the 
cover art on the book is a city made of soil, a Manhattan type skyline. And that to me is, you know, bullseye because that is the, the reality of how we were able to build our cities was because we had fertile soil. And, and you know, you, you clarify that the United States was exceptionally well advantaged in that regard. And it could be the real reason why the United States has really prospered in the last couple of hundred years faster than other countries because we just had more biological resources. And then I also want to say, you know, I, I love that cover art because it makes me think of that Hen Jimi Hendrix song, Castles Made of Sand. And the idea of cities made of soil is perhaps a, a, a good notion for us to keep in our, our minds. So thank you, you know, thank you very much for writing this book. And if you have any closing thoughts on restoring a person's relationship to the soil, I'd, I'd love to hear them. And otherwise, I, I just want to say to uh, anyone and everyone, this, this is a very readable and profound book. It is extremely important this decade. And it's a great way to get acquainted with the vastness of concerns and uh, connections that we have to the soil. And I, I've never read anything quite like it. It's just so easy to read. It's just an enjoyable read. It's almost like reading a travel book. And yet it's so full of much more important content than any Bill Bryson book. And uh, so hats off to you, Paul. And, and I hope you keep going. Yeah, thanks, Chris. I guess I would close by saying that, um, you know, I chose the title because I wanted to get people to realize the importance of the ground at their feet, you know, that we it doesn't need to be something um, like the land or, or that kind of thing where it's kind of like this huge, you know, the land kind of thing. It's like just the ground at your feet is full of life. It, it's what literally supports us. Let's recognize the beauty in the everyday. And in terms of, you know, restoring our relationship, I think you started with the question of sort of, you know, a vision for the a positive vision for the future. And I, I would hope that everyone would understand that, you know, I write this book because that's so much what I want. I want, it, it's not a book about talking about how bad things are the end, right? It's like, it's talking about how essentially how amazing the world is, how we're doing things that, you know, work against that that life and that wonder and that amazement and that we would be so much better off to, to act in different ways and to envision our future in different ways. And hopefully this book can help be part of that vision. There's so much we could be doing that would be more positive to so many more of us. Let's get started today.